Welcome to ConX, a global leadership platform for construction executives. Today, I have Sam. I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name. Well, you know what? I'm going to try. It's Barat. <laughs> Barakat. Barakat. I, I okay. should have gone with what I thought, but but I was close. Okay. Sam B. Uh, Sam B. You know, so what do you go have a nickname besides Sam? Uh, no, actually, Sam is the nickname. I, I don't oh, want to okay. go and go go through my legal name because that's make make it a little bit more complicated. Uh, <laughs> well, but, uh, Sam, tell us about about you as a person, kind of where you grew up, where you're from, that kind of thing, and then how you ended up being where you're at, and then tell us a little bit about your company. Sure, we'll we'll do. And first, thanks thanks a lot, Scott, for having me, inviting me on on this podcast. Uh, truly appreciate it. Um, okay, a little bit about me. Um, I'm um, I'm from a Catholic village south of Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably, I don't know, many of you audience know where Lebanon is. It's it's in the Middle East, just the border of Israel. Um, immigrated to the U.S. after high school and landed in LAX, California. Not a bad place to land in. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> and, They're uh, kind of different in Lebanon, though. It's it it is it it is a bit different. Uh, not as the way people think it is. Um, Lebanon um, is um, it's it's an open open market. Um, so uh, it's it's not as different as you coming from different different places as with mm-hmm. a totally totally different culture. I mean we're we're. Lebanon has always been open to to the Western cultures, um, so it's it's not like going totally to um, a place that you know nothing about. Um, so yeah, landed in in California um, and and stayed in Orange County. Um, went to did my bachelor's degree at Long Beach State. Um, Worked before I graduated. Did some internship with the Port of Los Angeles, with the City of Los Angeles, and the Port of Los Angeles as well. Graduated, uh, joined a lead engineer company called HNTB, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, graduated as a civil engineer with an emphasis of structural. Um, work on infrastructure projects. Uh, did my masters at Cal Poly Pomona. Um, stayed in the field. Uh, in California mainly uh, for a while, and then I decided that um, I need to work on different areas, different diff- different areas of my experience. I was always um, fascinated with the human element of of a construction project. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the engineering, I mean. A construction project for me is like a microcosm of of um, a, a, any other like of a small city economy, right? It just you got your you got the mathematical elements um, and you got your human elements that has a lot of influence on on the outcome of of of, uh, of the project. So I was interested in in that and um, start asking around and asking mentors about okay what. Some of areas to improve, and they told me if you want to be a good manager, um, you need you need to be able to communicate yourself to different different peers, different stakeholders, people mm-hmm. with mentality, people coming from a different backgrounds, 
so I, I reflected on myself. I'm like, okay, I've always been comfortable in in the technical aspect of things. I mean, I was good in physics and math, um, hence the engineering background. Uh, but I probably lack uh, being competitive with on, in the communication part of um, uh, the quality of, mm-hmm. of, of a person. Um, so I got myself involved more in in when in the industry. I was very active with ASCE at that time. Um, it was was a, like a younger engineer, so I was a member of the YMF. If if you're familiar with the ASCE organization, yes, um, they have like a younger member form as mm-hmm. well. Um, and put myself out there. Just any opportunity for me to do public speaking, to talk to people, I I just plunge myself into that. Uh, and, and then also I said, okay, I wanted something a little bit more. Um, I was lucky to work on um, interesting projects, um, design build, where us as lead engineer, we joint venture with the GC um, and, and, and work pretty much on the construction side, um, dealing with a lot of the construction issues. Uh, one of the projects that fascinated me, not because of the technicality or the engineering aspect of it but it because of the way it was managed uh it's it's the alameda corridor it's it's a depressed trench freight for freight rail Mm -hmm. that goes from the port of los angeles and the port of long beach and travels like through like i I forgot the exact number but travels through like several municipalities uh, into the like um, Riverside um, County, where where it's gonna be, where the distribution center for freight is uh, going to the uh, to the other sides of uh, the country. Um, so there there was a lot of logistics issues on the projects. You know, like you, you run into contaminated soil, you run run into like old cemeteries. Uh, you have to deal with businesses before you break grounds. Um, so all of that fa- fascinated me and opened my eyes as like, okay, the, again, to the human element of, of a construction project. And I said, okay, I, I, I need something else. I need more, more edu- education in addition to engineering that would improve my skills uh, in, in these aspects. Um, and I always liked the law. Um, so one day I decided, okay, um, I'm going back to law school. Mm-hmm. So uh, here I am in Orange County, California. So did you have to give your soul at that time, or was it later in law school you had to give away your soul? Well, I was going <laughs> to – I make that same comments. Like I, Normally when I explain that to, to people, I say, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and I sold my soul to the devil, <laughs> and I decided to go back to law school. Uh, I mean, it, it's funny, but <laughs> it is what it was. Um, so I figured, you know what, it, it can't go wrong. In law school, you have to read a lot, write a lot, and, and, and mm-hmm. do public speaking. I mean, uh, even if I end up not practicing, uh, it's 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 definitely a, a good education. Um, so, but yet, uh, because I was very involved in California, it's 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 a competitive in market. I wanted to be able to work and go to law school, right? I did not have the money just to take three years off and, and mm-hmm. just go to law school. So I did the part-time, which is, was four years for a Juris Doctorate and, and work during the day in the field. But I wanted to live in a market that is a little bit slower than California. 
So I ended up going to Oklahoma. Um, and so here goes a little bit different culture, um, relatively talking. Uh, but it was just the right environment for me just to work during the day and uh, in engineering, um, doing what I do and go to law school at night. Um, anyway, go, went through the law school, um, graduated, moved to Dallas, passed the bar in Texas. Um, and here I am in 2008, 2009, ready to let me try the, 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 the law practice. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, 2008, 2009, where the economy crashed. And everybody was laying off people. Um, the legal market at that time wasn't um, wasn't really uh, much happening. I'm like, okay, what do I do? Um, out of the blue, a friend of mine calls me from overseas. He's like, listen, Sam, I, have, uh, I, I did a joint venture uh, as a GC on a project in Qatar, which is like, it's just a state neighboring Dubai or the UAE, mm -hmm. if you heard of it. And um, I'm in the middle of the project. I have a lot of change orders. We're in delays. It's a uh, aluminum plant that they're building. Um, it's, it's a big one. I mean, it's the output was supposed to be like 5,000 plus tons of aluminum, raw aluminum. Uh, that the plant needed to generate, uh, but he has it's a it was a multi prime project and he has a, a portion of it. He has like a hundred plus million dollar portion of that of, of that mm. plant. He's like, can you come and help me out as 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 a contract slash commercial manager? Just help me with my change order, negotiate my claims, and and, and try to close the project. I'm like, perfect, right? That's like six to probably six month assignment. A uh, little bit more. Uh, I'll do that, and then I can come back when the market is a bit settled in the U.S. Well, travel there, finished the assignment, and got introduced to RLB, which is my current employer. Um, and uh, quickly after I joined, I became a uh, executive director, uh, and then a shareholder, which means a partner. And, and then I was a board member, um, and and my task was just also to to grow the the, the Middle East practice. We were based in Dubai, had, had a couple of offices in in different region over there. Uh, I brought a different perspective to to the group. Um, RRB, the, the the Middle East practice at at, at that time was uh, concentrated on providing um, a quantity surveying uh, services. Now. I probably need to explain to your audience what a quantity surveying is. Um, I don't know, Scott, if you're familiar with that. It's more of I, a. I am, but I'm not sure. There's so, some people. Some people uh, in our audience are probably not. Right. I mean, it's more of an English term than an American term. Uh, quantity surveyor is pretty much what the cost estimator uh, industry here in the U.S. is. Uh, overseas, where where people follow the English model. Um, they, they call them quantity surveying. Um, the uh, similar to the ASCE that kind of controls project controls and cost cost controls. Uh, they have an organization over the, in in the UK called the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors (RICS), mm -hmm. and they control that that profession. It's it's a very well integrated in in any projects. 
under the English, under the common uh, Commonwealth practice. Um, so fund surveyors are, are a key element element to to, to the project stakeholders. Uh, they pretty much do all the project control elements of a project. Mm -hmm. uh, other than the front end, right? The front end goes through the what the cost engineers do over here. They go through the cost planning, um, to the costing of the project. But but the quant surveying services continues throughout the project delivery um, until the end of the project. And they do also get into the uh, life cycle costs of of of, uh, of a structure of a buildings and so on. Uh, so they, they they pretty much cover all the commercial element of of any construction project um, um, out there. So what I was bringing to the to the services is is the the risk management aspect of it and and the claim management aspect of it. And we grew that business. Um, it was when I joined in it was about 20 staff. I'm talking about the Middle East business uh, to somewhere uh, we peaked at 80 staff. Um, and then my oh, job wow. was that's a, not a lot of growth quickly, huh? Yeah, it was a lot of growth. Now, I mean, we, we were we were also were lucky that we were in a in an industry that was, I mean, construction and market that was growing construction wise. I mean, there are a lot of projects out there. Um, but and it, that was right during the time we had the economic slowdown. Did that affect a lot of the work overseas, or it was already underway? Because um, you know, I I've done a lot of I think Dubai is a really interesting place, you know, and during that time, I know some projects got canceled, but some projects had to be pushed through, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the Dubai per se, um, uh, the, the ruler of Dubai realized 20 years ago that um, he needs to do something uh, because Dubai itself, as an, Dubai is like a state. The country mm -hmm. is called UAE, United Arab Emirates. Dubai is an emirate within the UAE. Dubai themselves itself does not have oil. Abu Dhabi, which is a neighboring state, have have oil. So the ruler of Dubai has decided, okay, I I I I need to figure out a way. I, I need to build an economy, right? In mm -hmm. Dubai. Uh, so he he pretty much teamed up with Abu Dhabi and with the, all that money that they have. I said, okay, this is our aspiration. Um, we want to build the city. Uh, we want to build it quick. We we gonna and their PR marketing was, we gonna build it. The biggest, the 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 most bling. Um, we're gonna be tourist economy. We're gonna bring financial sector to Dubai uh, and all that. And and to his credit, he was able to 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 establish that in a, in a very short period of time, right? I mean, looking at the history of Dubai, I mean, 15 to 20 years ago was nothing there. You go over there right now, it's 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 huge. Um, I mean, I always describe Dubai as Las Vegas without the gambling. Yes, yeah, I agree there. So that is that. And also the surrounding countries, they realize that, okay, we're getting a lot of revenue from, from uh, natural gas um, and, and oil, but we, we, we want to we, we wanna do something with that. I mean, uh, that's not sustainable for the future. We, we want to put that back into our economy, our infrastructure. Uh, so also there was there was a lot of budget at the time mm -hmm. uh, towards landmark construction project. Uh, so project that would to become landmark to pretty much provide marketing for the country, not necessarily um, with a lot of um, 
attention to the, the, the PNL at the bottom, at, at the end of the project, uh, but more is like, oh, we want to finish it, we want to finish it within, so, so time was more of the essence than, than cost, in, in a sense. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's funny, throughout my 10 years that I was over there, that actually changed, right? I mean, because they started like that, and then they realized, okay, now we have enough, um, in, enough marketing, in, enough project that are landmarks, now we're, we have to watch over cost and we, we want to start building more of a, of a local economy or sustainable economy. So, so you got more private investors um, um, that are more careful. I mean, obviously, uh, where, where, the, where the, the, the dollar amount matters, right? I mean, the, 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 the PNL of the project. Uh, so that kind of transformed from this is money coming quasi government project money coming from the from the from the government we just we, we want to build them so the investors can come and you start seeing the private sector coming into into the loop later on so which is interesting mix um, how so yeah, did, and and so you you know you entered the company and then you opened up a new sector correct kind of basically yeah, I mean, new I, area yeah, I, I mean, I was the, the director. I had to had once more. Uh, I mean, the biggest responsibility was to uh, 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 provide the, the advisory services, now we call mm -hmm. it. And advisory services is anything that is not project delivery related, uh, which, which in our field, it's, it's to do with risk management claim management, expert witness services, um, litigation support, and, and so on. Oh, so you guys do a lot of different things. Yeah, and when I finish my, 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 my journey, I will explain a little bit more about HNTB, uh, sorry, RLB as a, as a, as a global practice. Um, so, so did that, Scott, for a while, and then COVID hit, and, um, and I'm like, and in the past, throughout that time, I'm, I start getting worried about being away from the U.S. market um, mm -hmm. because, as you know, um, the U.S. market is a very inclusive market. Uh, people are more comfortable with uh, people are comfortable with people with U.S. experience, right? Just uh, so if you're not involved in it, you're, you kind of fade away a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, okay, I'm at that point of my life and my age. If I want to go back to the U.S., I need to start making my transition back to the U.S. market, right? I've been away for, what is it, nine years or so, uh, a little bit more. Uh, it, it, it's time for me to, to make that back, right, to my transition back. Um, but I couldn't find the right moment to do that. Um, COVID hit, and it was a time for me, okay, uh, probably this is a good time for me to go back. The RLB North American practice, uh, they were looking, uh, we had that relationship because we worked together. Uh, I mean, we work as a, as a global company together. And the guy that the in-house counsel, my colleague, and the guy that is in charge of advisory services over here, uh, he called me. He's like, Sam, there is an opening uh, in in the North American practice uh, for somebody to lead the advisory group. Um, 
would you be interested? I'm like, man, just just the perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I uh, ag- made my exit uh, from from our Middle Eastern practice and and joined uh, the North American practice um, a year ago, year, year and something. I mean, back in October 2020. Um, and here I am doing similar role, but I'm not. I'm just a principal. I'm not a shareholder in a North American practice. Um, doing similar role, um, leading the advisory group. Um, and again, just something I forgot to say: a minority of my responsibility. So the smaller hat I had with the Middle East practice is I was a quasi in-house counsel mm-hmm. because of my legal background. Over here as well, I have probably 5% of my role also um, helping my colleague who is the general in-house counsel with some internal legal issues. Um, but that is the smaller smaller portion. Um, but my primary role is to um, develop the advisory uh, group um, within the North American practice. Now, when we say North American practice, uh, I mean, I guess it's a le- good leeway to uh, describe a little bit about RLB as as a, as a global practice. Mm-hmm. Um, we are funny enough a, a 200 plus year old brand. It started in the UK as the as a quantity surveying. It's it's interesting. I we have a copy of um, a bill of quantities that uh, one of the founders has has done. It's probably like a hundred plus year uh, year old. Uh, it's in our archive. It's kind of nice to look at it, like an, uh, from a historical point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, it started as a quantity surveying anyway, and and it was a rider hunt. It's the R of the RLB, and and he went to Australia and become a uh, well known in in the Oceania business, Australia, New Zealand, um, and then. Bucknell Austin, another firm in in the UK, um, uh, also um, was growing at the same time in in the UK and Europe. Uh, and there was eleven Bailey in Asia, and the three got together twenty years ago, and and formed the brand Rider Levitt Bucknell. Uh, the North American practice branched out of the Australian practice. And they landed uh, in Hawaii. I think uh, I think that was uh, 20 years ago as well, uh, or a little bit more. And and then moved to the inland. And Phoenix is the they had is the corporate office of the North American practice. And we probably have uh, we do have 21 offices in in North America, and that's include uh, Canada as well, Toronto and and Montreal. Uh, and we provide pretty much the MCM project management, cost management services, and advisory. Um, and advisory, not only the we do the litigation part or, or the claim claim part or conf, uh, risk management, but we also do um, um, uh, life uh, relifing uh, services where uh, where where we evalu- evaluate um, existing building. Um, the cost oh, okay. and cost to repair and, and and provide advice to like um, purchasers or developers as to okay what's the value of your building uh, is it worth 
um, retrofitting the building uh, moving forward um, or or just um, demolish and build new one. Um, so we, we provide also life cycle analysis and 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 uh, uh, just cost of maintenance and and, and so on. So that's a, that's a nutshell, um, Scott. So what do you, you know? Are you uh, are you now kind of looking in hindsight of kind of where you've been and where you are now? Are you is it something you saw yourself doing, or is it something that you kind of fell into and you fell in love with it? What parts of it do you really like, and what parts don't you like? Yeah, I, uh, it, it's something that I sought, right? I mean, I, I said um, <clears throat> a few years into my career in engineering, uh, I, I realized I'm, I'm interested in the human element of uh, the, the human dynamics of of the construction project, uh, and start getting interested in in um, how people behave and the outcome of behavior, like you know the the, the the neuro neuropsychology of, of of human behaviors and and how that affects um, the the outcome of a project um, and my deco backgrounds um, education and, and background allow me to get into the 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 um, the ADR business like alternative dispute resolution I mean mm -hmm. that that is the claim management part of it the 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 the, the uh, Negotiation, the, the the mediation and the um, arbitration part, right? Um, I also sought uh, more education into that field. I mean, I, I did two years uh, of a master's degree, they call them LLM, uh, in University of London, uh, focusing on international arbitration. Um, I also did training with the Chartered Institute of Arbitration in London. Um, I became a fellow of the Charter Institute for Arbitration, um, so I, I, I was focusing in, in, in that arena, in, in, in the um, ADR market and um, and and the um, expert witness as well, expert witness services. Uh, it, it's an area that I really like because it 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 does other than the technical aspect of, of thing and and other than uh, providing uh, your objective overview of what the technical issues are you still have to consider and understand the human element because it, mm -hmm. it, it, is, it is a big factor and and it makes a big difference i mean we are all slaves of our subconscious and um uh, and the biases that we come from and and especially in the engineering industry or construction industry because you have a lot of competent people in there and that they have a lot of experience uh, they are in a way stuck in their own way of doing things and sometimes projects that lands in a different circumstances requires a different outlook at things or and i'm saying project or a conflict or or, mm -hmm. or, or i mean any aspect of of that so that is the element that I like, and I'm, I'm continuing to do that, which which is good, um, 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 and I love doing that. Well, I'm going to go off on a tangent and ask you a, sure. a random question here because you brought up ADR. Um, yeah. And it seems to me, because you know I've done expert witness testimony myself, uh, never been a an arbitrator in any way, shape, or form, or mediator, but um, um, it seems to me that the construction industry 
seems to be more going towards ADR. It seems like there's been some type of shift. I would say, you know, I yeah, I don't know, put a time frame on it, maybe 10 years. Um, it seems like there's been a shift to alternate dispute resolution has been has become so much more of a thing now than what it was. And uh, and I'm not sure why that is. Well, I do. I I, I have my theories, but I want to hear your theory on that. Yeah, I mean, ADR is a wide wide spectrum of of um, tools, right, to to solve a dispute. Um, and if we uh, we'll talk a little bit about the, um, the the mediation part and the, and, the, and the third party neutrals and and the dispute dispute resolution board, which are gaining ground as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but but first, let's talk about arbitration versus litigation, right? Lo local courts. Um, the, yeah, I mean, actually, the shift in the U.S. coming back to the U.S. Uh, it, it, it shifted back into litigation the past few years, and now it's probably going to shift back to arbitration. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why it shifted back to litigation, people realize that arbitration are becoming uh, probably sometimes as costly as going to litigation. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason why initially it gained, gained ground is because um, in, in litigation, you either have a judge or have a jury. And in most time, both, they don't have a lot of construction experience. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have a specialized courts, like right? there are other countries, um, they do have technical courts. Um, like for example, in the UK, they have a, a construction technical uh, court that you go to for construction disputes. So judges uh, have experience on construction matters. In the US, depending on the judge, um, we don't have that. And if you go in the jury, I mean, jury, that probably it's just, just a lay person when it comes to construction matters. And most construction disputes are very factual in nature. So meaning, it's not really the legal issues uh, that really pivoting the outcome of the case. It's more of the technical issues, right? The, the, the interpretation of the factual uh, matters in, in, in the case. So that's why arbitration seem to be suitable because the parties can elect to uh, appoint uh, a panel of arbitrators uh, arbit one arbitrator or three arbitrators, depending on on on, on the size of the the, the claim, um, that have that construction background, uh, which probably give a little bit more more control over the outcome outcome of the case. Um, which so, I, you know, being in yeah. being involved in litigation, man, gosh, you spend so much time educating the jury or the judge on why this is what it is. Uh, it's interesting. I didn't realize outside the United States that they actually have, you know, specific industry, you know, they, they have that because that, you know how much time that would save. I mean, that's just uh, anybody who's been involved with litigation realizes how much time it takes to explain why this is the way it is, you know? Yeah. And, and, and not all of them do. Right. I mean, in England, they do most Commonwealth. Um, <laughs> that follow the Commonwealth. I mean, Australia, they do, I think. Uh, but England has it good because they have two things, right? They have the uh, specialized courts, um, construction courts, and they also have an, a mandatory adjudication, adjudication system. 
So in the US, if, if you fall under the Construction Act, uh, sorry, in the UK, if you fall under the Construction Act, uh, your dispute has to go to an adjudicator first before before you can appeal it to 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 arbitration or local courts, right? Uh, or or the construction courts. Yeah. Which filters out a lot of lot of the um, the the claims that are purely based on emotions, right? Because just the parties say, okay, this is a, th a third party that is not biased, that is not involved in the case, and this is how he how he or she decided. Uh, maybe I have to rethink about taking this all away and uh, mm -hmm. appealing it and, and and so on. So it's it's a quick quick justice in a way. Um, Go, uh, plays along the private bo uh, dispute boards that that we have here in the U.S. Uh, the good thing about it, one, it's quick justice, but more importantly, it it keeps the cash flow going because uh, it it tells the employer, fine, um, the contractor is correct, or 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 subcontractor to a contractor, pay him right now, and if you don't like the decision, you can appeal it later. So it's it's not holding the cash flow, which normally creates more disruption in the projects, and 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 more problems. A um, lot of lot of the bigger disputes, in my experience, it's it's a result of a snowballing effect. Uh, parties mm -hmm. don't resolve it as, as they go, and it snowballs, and it becomes bigger and bigger. And at some point, it creates enough momentum that will be it will be very hard to settle. And that's why. People take it all the way to local litigations or arbitration, and they spend a year or two to to settle it. So, how you know, as a as you in your role and as your organization, how are you guys preparing for the future? What do you guys see in the future um, as being uh, the things to be involved with? You know, you mentioned that you know the dispute resolution, alternate dispute resolution, compared to formal litigation, it seems like to swing back and forth. And obviously, I'm I'm not asking you to, <laughs> to to predict the future, but how are you guys preparing for the future? What things do you look for? You know, what uh, what trends do you look for? Um, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I will give you the the, the two approach. Um, uh, I mean, the the two objectives of our cultures. One 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 in in the advisory group, and the other one in in the the, the bigger volume that we do, the, the bread and butter, which is the project management and cost management, just the project delivery side of things. I mean, the, 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 let me start with the project delivery side of things. The project delivery side of things, we realize that the future of consultancy, uh, it's a more advisory-like than mm -hmm. what it used to be a discipline-specific or, or niche-like. So um, the, the, the construction industry in general when it comes to catching up with technology i personally believe it's a little bit behind other industries uh, as relying totally on 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 technology to to do things but it's coming eventually right i mean with with all the ai tools out there at some point a lot of of what we do as consultants is gonna be um done probably cheaper and more efficiently through 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 tools um and what is left is um is is the the experience and the advisory role of things so our goal as 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 a company is to okay how do you switch 
the, the mentality, our, our staff mentality, to think more of outcome oriented than just a service specific oriented. So we're, we're trying to figure out a way to leverage the, the database that we have, because we, we, we do work across the globe and nationwide, we, we do work across the country. So all the projects that we work on, I mean, how, how do we leverage the, the, all that cost database um, and, and, and so we can uh, preserve that experience, all that experience that, that we have, and in the future, train this, our staff to use that uh, to provide better advice to, 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 uh, to our clients uh, or to, to the industry in general. What do you, you know, and, and I want to talk a little bit about yeah. you here for a second. What, what do you believe the skills and abilities that you have have brought you to the point that you are? And the reason, you know, uh, we don't we don't bring people on the podcast that are not successful in their careers. I mean, we bring winners, you know, we specifically go after those type of people. So um, uh, and I know you're a humble guy, Sam, but I need you to tell me why. What what do you believe? your skills and abilities that you brought to the table uh, that have helped you succeed in your career? Yeah, I, uh, I, I did play, I mean, if, if I, if I go one of the areas that um, I struggled with is that I, for some reason due to circumstances or intentionally, I always placed myself in uncomfortable situations right i mean i just moved from one market to another um joined a uh, while i'm a professional engineer it joined a uh, a, a firm that has a uh, cost cost management culture um work on projects that that has different stakeholders that come from a different cultures so it's always in i was always in 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 situation where i'm outside my comfort zone uh, so always tackling new challenges um, and 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 trying to resolve uh, problems that gave me, I think, an edge and experience to be able to look at 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 the problem um, in in different perspective. Uh, because I've been exposed to different cultures, different way of doing things. Um, so the, the, yeah, I think that is probably my number one asset is my ability to uh, look at things in different perspective, um, be able to leverage ex the expert expertise of other stakeholders or or the expertise of my my colleague uh, to to be able to find a solution to to a problem. Um, and I think you know one of the things that you know personally hearing you uh, you describe some of your experience. One thing that you get that I think so few people get that um, is that the construction business is not a building business. It's not an infrastructure business, not an equipment business. It's a people business. So you know the understanding the people aspect of it is huge and it seems like that has been a um a central tenant of of kind of your interest in construction is okay well what what's the people aspect of it and uh um and pairing that with what you you know obviously with what you do for a living oh yeah 100% and um 
and and the again when I said the construction industry is a little bit behind technology um, behind other industries when it comes to technology and how to take advantage of that um, I mean funny enough I mean you, you Scott also come from a project control background mm -hmm. I, I believe um, yeah, I do um, and project control in our industry comparing to other industries is it's it's behind it is and it's behind because of th that same reason is in the past uh, people relied on our foremans and the superintendents that come with a lot of experience to uh, okay I'm, I'm fine with a two month or three months look ahead and this is how I'm gonna build my project three 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 weeks out of time right because I know my people on the ground they're builders and uh, they come with a wealth of experience that they, they will be able to figure it out and 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 finish a project um, so it's it's this swim and learn how to survive industry and remain so right uh, throughout the whole I mean, until these days with all the technology that we have um, but that is changing a little bit because what we're facing as an industry right now uh, and, and especially um, North America is that that experience is retiring and we don't have enough people uh, entering the industry um, that that I mean how do you transfer that experience right I mean we have an established control mechanism to be able to leverage these experiences and transfer it to the new guys and then we do have short of skilled labors uh, in the industry so that's 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 a big struggle that the industry is facing uh, which means you no longer gonna be able to deal with that experiences you have to rely more on on, on pro project controls elements and experience um, to be able to successfully uh, finish your project. And to do that, you do have to implement measures that deals with, uh, with people, the human element of things, uh, and, uh, and how, how, to, how, how to bring people with the different skills, different cultures together to, for, for a successful outcome. And you know, and you you hit on something really large, and I I I know that you that you believe in this. That's why um, that's why I say this. But uh, years ago, ACC, which is a crediting body for uh, you know construction education, um, they uh, I went to one of their their annual meetings, and they were talking about a research study. There's a, a professor out of Alabama and he discussed about what employers are really looking for. And when I looked at the questions, it, it was more, it was slanted towards, are they looking for somebody who's technically savvy or they're looking for somebody who's more people savvy, you know? And obviously there's a place for both, but I was really surprised that what the consensus was and the consensus from most general contractors is, Listen, we want somebody who knows how to deal with people more than we want to have somebody who knows every piece of the mechanical system. And I thought that was it, it, it was obvious after the fact, but when I realized it and and the philosophy for them was we can teach those technical things. It's very on the other side, it's much more complicated to teach the how you deal with people because they're not a plus you know one plus one equals two people are not like that you know uh, i wish they were <laughs> you know, that, that would be much easier to understand people's motives and desires so um
Uh, and and it sounds like you get that. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And and not only that, we can um, we we can find those technical people. It's also you're not going to be able to find our 40 year 40 year experience uh, foreman that knows everything or superintendent that that used to be like an older generation. I mean, you're you're not going to find those. I mean, they're they're retiring, and and the, there is a there's a gap between the 40 year experience and um, and the, and the 10-year experience, right? I mean, all that gap between 10 years and 40 years, or 20 years, I'm sorry, 20 or 30 years, there is a big gap, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to find it. You're not gonna be able to replace it. So, yeah, the skills of the future is how to deal with people and be able to leverage the experience that the people have, the small experiences, leverage it together so that it forms a one, one holistic experience for the whole project. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, I agree with you, 100%. Sometimes I, when I state that, some people almost get offended. And, and it's not that I'm downplaying the technical aspect of it. it I'm not playing that down at all. But I, I, I don't know how, you know, what your experience has shown in this, but I, my experience has shown that I'd rather have somebody who knows how to deal with people than knows everything to, to do about construction. And the reason being is because... It, usually those people may not have the other side, those people skills necessary. And uh, um, I just, it's, it's pretty, it's, it seems like that is direction. And the other thing is that skilled trades is a really tough thing. I mean, uh, and that's when my kind of leads me into my next question. Obviously uh, I'm interested from your perspective because you've seen, litigation and arbitration and you've done a consulting work and given and worked as an advisor obviously we have a huge shortage of labor in the united states and um i I don't know where how what the current picture looks like overseas you know i've done a lot of overseas work but it didn't seem we had as big a labor issues do you, could you give us maybe some insight to your perspective on, you know, labor shortage for skilled trades people? And um, is it a bigger deal in the United States than it is overseas or this is the same? What is your thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't want to get into the politics element of it. Um, I mean, we in the U.S., we have certain moral code uh, when it comes to labor mm-hmm. um, that some other countries uh, turn a blind eye on that. Um, so mainly on international projects, uh, people import labor from different places. So there's no shortage of labor, um, because there's definitely shortage of skilled labor, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that is everywhere, but they, they they can put volume of it, volume of labor much easier than here in the U S because it's cheaper, just cheaper labor to deal with. So instead of, um, having like one skilled labor that can pour, pour five unskilled labor just to, to balance that one skilled labor that you have here in the US. So I mean, one to five ratio, one to 10 ratio, because just the labor overseas in some countries, um, they can import them from different countries that just at a much lower rates than, than you do and, over and here. It's, it's funny how construction, uh, I was surprised about the, the you know, the, the difference in construction techniques um, because of the cost of labor. You, you know, that wasn't a factor I considered, but the fact that labor is cheaper in certain areas of the world affects the way they build 
is just is 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 pretty incredible to me. That's why I continue to say that I think that the construction industry in the United States is more headed towards a pre-manufactured, you know, yeah. pre-fabricated I mean, it's, environment. It's funny. I'm gonna tell you a story without naming names, uh, but it's kind of a funny story when it comes to like uh, the, the the sheer of the volume of labor that other countries can provide. Um, in China, in the past, uh, in the mainland China, in the past, they they had the three main contractors. Um, one of one they specialize in infrastructure, one specialize in rail, and one um, that specialize in, in just vertical developments. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much they were dominating the whole. And I'm I'm saying this is in the past. I mean, the market in 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 the mainland right now is a little bit different. Uh, they pretty much dominate the whole like um, uh, construction industry, um, and and there are quasi quasi government entities, right? I mean, just they're supported by the by the government. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I dealt with one of these entities because I was working on I was working on behalf of the employer, uh, negotiating uh, sets of claims with one of one of one of these companies, the Chinese companies. Uh, but anyway, I was sitting down like. Just on the meet and greet, like you know, with with the uh, one of the in-house counsel of, of the Chinese company um, that is locally in, in in Dubai, and I'm like, um, how many staff do you guys have? Like you know, just as a company globally, and he gave me a, a number that I don't quite remember the exact number, but somewhere around, we'll talk about like a million or something. <laughs> like staff. Wow. I'm like, holy moly! I mean. What do you guys do, like you know, for a company event? Do you like rent an island somewhere and have, like a party? <laughs> but I'm just giving you the scale. I'm, I'm, and I get, don't quote me on the number. Um, I'm just trying to illustrate the the, the scale of uh, the labor that they can mobilize um, with these type of comp- uh, countries. And I'm talking about big projects, and probably um, not relative to just mid-sized projects that we mostly do in our local markets over here. Uh, but yes, I mean, some jurisdictions they can import or or they also or they have it uh, in in their countries cheaper labors, and it makes a difference. Um, now the efficiency level is is way worse than the efficiency level over here, um, but I guess you put enough uh, you put enough labor in it to balance to ba- to balance the skills, I guess, and you end up building the project well it's it's funny like i I remember on an embassy i built um they had one forklift for the entire site right and we had some some material it was cheaper to have people manually move material than it was with the forklift and people in the united states that would not even be a a thing you know people wouldn't even consider that but over there they very well would consider that as an option and uh um and uh, you know, different world, yeah. different environment. Uh, just like in Italy, it was one of the first jobs that I ever did. I w- I was surprised. Why don't we use plywood? You know, like for forms. Why do they use one by material? Well, that's because it's much easier to get there uh, one by than it is anything else. And then at the end of the day, they're going to plaster over top of it. You know, so um, and uh, I just it's just so funny how like those all those factors play into it. And I'm sure. From a arbitration litigation perspective, uh, you know there you see a lot of different issues 
in different regions based on those dynamics. Yeah, and and I do um, most of my expert witness work. Um, the issues that I call myself qualified as an expert to testify on are delay and damages issues. Um, and with 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 scheduling, as you know, Scott. I mean, I mean. Um, a lot of lot of the issues is because the baseline program it was over optimistic to start with. Um, and just uh, people again because of the the change change in the labor markets, uh, general contractors or subcontractors they really don't know their people because they're they're gonna probably have to do deal with uh, new new staff as as mm -hmm. they go. So uh, estimating how long. Things gonna take to finish a project. It's it's been it's been an issue. Uh, I don't know if you have faced that same experience when you're reviewing scheduling. Uh, I mean baseline programs and, and and so on. It it is it is funny how how you know how different it could be just based on all those individual little factors. So let's go back to focus on maybe some of your expenses experiences here a little bit. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about. You know, I, I put a lot of credence in failures I've made in my career, you know. Um, it, it seems like you learn a lot more from failures than you do from successes. But talk to us a little bit about some of the failures you've had and some of the successes and kind of some of the lessons learned uh, that you've taken from those. Yeah. Um, okay, let's try to provide some examples, some failures. Um, when you um, when you work on the pr bigger projects, um, and we're talking about, I mean, I mean, some of the issues that I work on, we're talking about six hundred million dollars amount in disputes, um, and mm. the, the project themselves, it's probably uh, like somewhere between. I mean, the biggest project I work on is like six billion US dollars. Um, so you you tend to and, and there, there's nothing different about a big project than a smaller project. I mean, just big project is just a small pieces of uh, a bunch of pieces of smaller projects, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, people think, oh, you somebody's working on a big project, you must really know much better than I do. I mean, not really, right? I mean, just nothing so special about a big project other than just smaller projects put together uh, to make a big project. But what it's challenging about it is that. Um, you 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 can't be a micromanager of the issues and especially in disputes because a lot of it a lot of it is data management right it's it's a lot of it is how, how do you manage your data that you don't get overwhelmed and get stuck in it um because you if if, if you're coming back on a on an issue and sometimes it's like two year old um, and you have to go back, especially like on delay things, Scott, as you know, you just forensically, you have to go back two years into the project records um, to, 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 to understand um, what the chronology of the fact is and, and try to put an as-built critical path together. Um, you, you're, you're diving into like gigabytes of information. And if you have this micromanagement mentality, you you're gonna be you you're gonna get lost, and you're not gonna be able to provide an opinion or or provide a solution within within the time limit required. 
So you have to know how to, so you, you tend to do become a more of a, of a macro manager, right? Let me see, mm -hmm. try zoom out to look what the issue is, zoom in a little bit and then zoom out. Um, <laughs> So that so I, I became more of a macro manager than a micro manager, but that sometimes backfire, right? <laughs> sometimes I, in managing people, I, I'm managing my my staff. Sometimes I'm like too much of a macro manager, and by the time by the time I come back to my staff, they'll be like, "Oh, okay, I'm, I got lost. I needed direction." I'm like, "Why didn't you tell me?" And I forget that sometimes. You do have to be a micromanager to to be able to guide your staff through 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 the through the channels of like the, you know the, the the projects or the issues and and so on. So so, that, so so some of the my issues like sometimes is just like I sometimes forget that I, I do have to micromanage the issues and to help my team um, get there. You know, it uh, seems like my, micromanagement, and I it gets a bad name, and I I don't. The the word itself almost seems like a you know uh, a connotation, not a denotation. You know, it's a it seems like there's some negative negative behind, negativity laced in that title. But the truth is, is that people, you know, based on their behavior and their skill set, that's the level you manage to. It's not whether you micromanage or macromanage. You it's what does that person need at what level of oversight do they need, you know? And and it's not just that. You brought up a, a good topic about like being able to zoom in and zoom out. I've never heard it like that, but that's extremely insightful. Yeah, yeah. And so I, coming back to a more mature, not mature, but coming back to a local market, um, um, I, I realized that I need to uh, be a little bit more of a micromanager. Um, uh, because what what you said, I mean, just pe people need a little bit more direction, um, and especially with the with the with the more uh, junior staff, it's because um, what we do we, we we do more forensic work than prospective work, mm -hmm. and forensic work requires a little bit different mindset. Uh, I mean, like I said, the zoom in zoom out ability, um, uh, looking at things a little bit differently, a little bit more objectively, um, so. Yeah, I mean, some of the people entering this, while they come with a strong, uh, competent technical background, but they 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 do need need that micromanagement to just be trained to think a little bit differently. What would you, you know, personal advice? And and then before before we go into the, kind of the speed round, I'm really interested in some of the scores you may give to different factors we have in the speed round. But if we do have a section of our audience that is younger people that desire to be, you know, a principal with the organization or president or vice president for an organization. If you had to, you know, sit down with that young man or woman and, and give them advice based on some of the experience and education you've got in your life, what would that, what would be the one thing you would tell them that would be really important for them to do or not do? Yes. Um, Pretty much the same advice I had when I first started from a mentor, um, from, from one of my mentors, is um, I mean th there is two routes in 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 the construction industry in general, um, and I probably speak more 
the consultancy side and then the actual build, builder side, right? Because mm -hmm. I mean, that's my background. Um, one is you, you can become a fellow of what you do. So if, if, if you're like a bridge engineer or if you're MEP, uh, mechanical or industrial, you can become probably the, the star of the industry in that. Um, and that is, that is a path that you need to, that you can pursue. Uh, and many people have done it very successfully. Um, and the other path, if you want to just manage people and grow into the corporate ladder in, in a way, um, my mentor said, you have to be the jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it maybe has some negative connotation as like, oh, what, what do you mean that you're not expert in one area? Not really. But like I said, you, you need to be able to communicate different disciplines to different people, different stakeholders. Um, and the way to do that is uh, put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Don't be afraid to do that. You'll be amazed what you actually will be able to do. Um, if you feel you're comfortable at what you do because you know it by heart and it comes in subconsciously for you, uh, try to try try to put yourself in a situation where you, you don't not not. I mean, you you know less about the topic what you're trying to do, and 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 try to learn it. Uh, because that will give you the well-rounded um, experience um, and will enable you to um, to be able to communicate that to other people. Well, the great, great advice there for sure. We're going to move on to the speed round. The speed round is simply just eight different categories. You rate from one to ten. Ten being the most important, one being the least important, and they can all be tens. You know, uh, I know right. that. Uh, you know, because I, I always get people who are like, okay, I got to raise something lower. No, I just wanted you to tell me how important do you think this is in in the construction industry and more and more important, why? And uh, so we'll go ahead and get started with scheduling. On the 1 to 10, where do you think it falls on the spectrum? Uh, how I'm sorry, uh, how Scott, important? is it how important or how uh, how well the industry is in it? How important it is within okay. the construction industry. Oh, I I think it's it's a it's a seven. Why wouldn't you rate a higher or lower? Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, again, like we we talked we we touched a little bit on that, right? Um, you no longer can rely on your thirty twenty year old experience on the ground to do a just do a three-week look ahead and, and run your project that way. Uh, you, you do need to have a good project control measures in your company in order to, to be successful. And that is, uh, scheduling is, is a key element of that. And now why not hire? I mean, doesn't matter how good your schedule is, you're not gonna capture any, uh, you're not, it doesn't matter how good your schedule is, doesn't many, it matter how many theoretical Monte Carlo analysis you do to cover all the bot F scenarios, uh, you're not gonna. It's never gonna be 100% perfect, right? You're always gonna rely on the, the your management skills and the people on the ground to make things happen. Estimating. And we're, I'm assuming cost estimating, right? Yes. Or it could be material. Yeah, it could be material estimating, takeoff information. Right. I mean, and estimating is is probably. Um, Working with a with a company that has um, pride itself to 
to to be one of the best cost estimator. <laughs> so I'm I'm a little bit biased on this topic, but estimating is is probably similar to scheduling. Um, if uh, if people um, from the start, especially clients, um, have a clear idea as to where what is your what's the cost is uh, of of your project. Then that that creates a less adversity moving forward, um, and uh, the client will be cautious about like changes and and, and so on. Um, I, I mean, just give you a, a dichotomy between estimating and scheduling. I was work, working on a project. It's 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 a very big project. Um, probably completion date of the whole thing. It's it's a smaller small city that they're building. So we're talking eight years project land mm-hmm. and the, the project manager biased in a way that at the start of the project they were telling the client um, look look the schedule is perfect we, we're gonna meet all the milestones uh, contractual milestones we're gonna meet the completion date everything look, looking good uh, we were the executive cost consultant and commercial manager on the project which is reporting directly to the client and we telling them there's no way you're gonna be able to spend that much money with that that period of time, you're not going to finish the project on time. Um, so this objective and accurate estimate from from the start as to okay, what is your your cost of the project and what's your cash flow? Um, it's it's a very good indicator as to where your project is going. And truly enough, in the middle of the project, uh, when the when the project manager ran out of excuses to tell the to, to give the rosy picture to the employer, the employer <laughs> start realizing, oh, true, I'm not going to be able to spend all that money. That we're we're way behind. We have to rethink what our completion date target is. What about and the next two are contract. One is the actual paper contract, and the other one is contract administration, the actual execution of that contract. Uh, contract administration is. Uh, I would say six, and and, and uh, it's because um, you know how many times I'll be working, and especially the the second year, like the the big subcontractors. Um, how many times I have to come back to a subcontractor and say, "Listen, you have a case, but sorry, your chances of winning that case is so little because." I don't have the record to substantiate my analysis, mm-hmm. uh, your, the cause of an effect or whatever damages. So contract administration is very important in order to record um, what's happening on the project and, and be able to go back and justify to the stakeholders. It doesn't have to be dispute. Even in during negotiation, I said, listen, I mean, this is what happened and this is why I'm entitled to that additional money or additional time. Design. Well, I mean, yeah, they're all above five. Um, mm-hmm. With, um, um, I mean, I think design is very good in our industry. What, what, what has becoming lacking is the the detailing of it, right? Um, a lot of de- designers shift that to the general contractor. Um, so um, having a complete Design. Uh, I mean, robust design. Uh, obviously, it's, it's it's very important. Accounting. Okay, we skipped contracts. Oh, I'm sorry. I I thought I thought we got that with contract contracts. Okay. 
the, the contract as a form of contract, um, knowing, uh, being able to put on, on, on paper <clears throat> what the true intent um, of the parties are in, in a simple way, because a lot of contract forms out there are lengthy and, and, and only lawyers can read. Uh, just being able to put on, 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 on paper your, your true intent is, is very important. It will solve a lot of problems. By my personal opinion, doesn't matter how good the contract is, uh, if, if the parties, there's no collaboration, no trust within the parties, you're gonna end up with mm -hmm. problems anyway. Um, okay, accounting. Accounting, and I'm, I'm talking about the actual accounting process, you know, project accounting. Well, obviously, I mean, that probably, that probably plays with a little bit contract administration uh, point of view. Um, <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people, um, I mean, I'm just trying to look at it from, from my perspective. I mean, a lot of people have accounting as uh, head office accounting, and they don't have like a like a separate PNL for the project. Um, again, which from a, from a record point of view makes it difficult later on to um, to substantiate um, uh, because people have to pay attention most of the time for for delay damages, for example. Uh, the, the 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 prevailing rule is that you have to show actual costs. Mm -hmm. And having good accounting uh, books um, it plays a very good role in, on that. Um, you can't just estimate what your time-related costs are in most cases. And the next one I have is is selling work, but I really mean business development. Listen, I I the, the business development part is is in our industry is is twofold. You got the marketing, uh, which is what I call visibility. So it's, it's just putting the brand out there or your name out there. But I think the more important part is the, the, the relationship and building building that relationship with your clients. So um, the, the, the latter is, is, is very important, not only, not only uh, for bringing revenue, it's also important uh, creating that trust because trust Believe it or not, is is a, a crucial element in in, in resolving adversity in, in, in the project. Um, just the adversarial environment and the lack of trust normally what creates the snowball effect, and, and people end up um, dragging the, the the project behind. So the trust not only comes in in during the project, but it's also come in from the relationship you have built doing business development and working on previous projects. And the last one is, I'm interested to see what you have to say about this one, is leadership, the concept of leadership within construction. Uh, it's very crucial um, because, like I said, in my opinion, the construction industry is um, behind other industry with um, adopting um, technology. Uh, and I'm talking the, the more advanced technology, I'm talking about uh, AI and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so having leadership skills that visionaries uh, in the industry trying to get out of their comfort zone, try to get out of, okay, this is, we've been doing it for 30 years. This is how we're going to remain of doing it. Uh, um, it, it, it's it's very important and, and it's it's needed. Uh, I mean, we, I, I don't think we can 
wait any much longer. Um, we, again, with the lack of skilled labor, and it doesn't look like the demand is, me the, the, the supply is meeting the demand when it comes to skilled laborers, um, and we, we need to have some sort of different solutions as to how we're going to manage our projects. Um, and that requires leadership and, and visionaries to 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 um, create new um, new tools for the industry. Well, Sam, I want to thank you. Uh, uh, you're the first person that we've had on that is in the specific, uh, uh, I guess I, I could call it industry or or sector of construction. Um, and you know. Uh, all of what you've described that you do and it's it, it was very interesting to me and i think it'll be very interesting to our to our listeners to uh to hear your podcast because you bring a lot of good points up and um let's just say this man you shouldn't have been a lawyer you're too nice of a guy no i'm just joking uh, but uh <laughs> but uh but, but uh i think uh, i think a lot of times that we have our preconceived notions on you know the way people should be and i think you shattered a lot of those for us uh today so um, but uh, I always give my guest the last word. I just want to thank you again for being on a podcast. I want to thank you for what you do because you're the type of person that makes our industry better. So you have the last word. It was a pleasure, Scott, and, and thank you for, for giving me these opportunities. I hope uh, my story brings some insight to your audience or adds a little bit of value. And uh, and I'm, I'm glad, you know what, uh, I think we need more podcasts like yours out there. Um, I, it's another medium that I think younger generation is, is more receptive to uh, a podcast. So um, thank you for doing this. Well, once again, thank you, uh, Sam. And uh, join us next week for another, uh, another session of Connex. Mm -hmm.